Well, welcome again to South Lansing Christian Church. My name is Walter. I'm the teaching and small groups minister here at South. And I want to invite you to join with us on a journey we're on this morning. And for the next hundred or so days, we're reading scripture together. And, uh, and every Sunday, we are talking about what we've been reading or what we will be reading. So this week, we read the first 12 chapters of Genesis. And our plan is to read from Genesis through Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, Exodus in there, all of those books this fall. And then we'll pick back up in 2024, reading more of Scripture together. The way you can join with us is, is signing into the Bible app and searching for South Lansing Christian Church on your phone. Uh, and then you find our, our church campus on there, and you can see our highlighted reading plan. It's got videos and devotionals to go along with it, so I hope you've been able to, to tune in there. If not, you can join in today. You can also tune in and join with us uh, uh, on an analog version if you're not so much about the app. And there are cards around the room uh, at the tables that have the, the plan for what we're reading. So, again, it's about two chapters a day, and that'll take us all the way into December. One of the things we're doing here as a church is trying to meet you and, and read Scripture with you. And so every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, weekdays at 12.12, we're going to be live on Facebook, and we'll be reading the couple chapters for that day. This is a way for us to center ourselves in the middle of the day, in the middle of the workday, and be reminded of who we are and reminded of God's story. So I hope you'll tune in for that as well. Uh, that way we do some lifting with you because our, our reading plan is seven days a week, but we've got you for four of those days, and, uh, and we're there with you. Now, last week in the first 12 chapters of Genesis, you guys covered a lot of ground. And one of the things I'd like to ask you to do this morning is, is on your way out of here, you'll see on the wall uh, our, our weeks of reading, and there's a question there, and it's asking you, what did you learn about God in your reading this week? And if you can just jot down a, a sentence on one of those note cards, sticky notes, and paste that on the wall, and we can see what God has been teaching us, that's a way for us to continue encouraging each other. In those first 12 chapters of Genesis, we've got, and we've got some important characters, Adam and Eve, we've got... Noah, we've got Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, and Seth, and uh, we've got Abraham and Lot. There's a lot that happens, and, and those chapters are kind of a how did we get here blitz through the earliest stages of human history in, in really four stages. Stage one, there was nothing except for God himself, and stage two, there was everything that we know, and everything was perfect, humans, animals, creation. Stage three, humans broke the world. And we've been living in a, under the curse of creation ever since. And uh, ever since then, God has been working to, to redeem us. And so we're, we're reading this week, we'll be reading the story of Abraham, who's the beginning of this journey as God built a people up, a, a nation, the nation of Israel, through whom he could bring his promised son and rescue the world. That was God's plan, and that has been God's plan. And, and as we'll see as we continue to read that, God makes plans, and always carries through on his promises. But we'll also see that humans often make decisions that go uh, in opposition to God's plan. And that as we continue to make those decisions, we cause pain. That has been our, our habit all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve, and it too often is our habit today. Speaking of pain caused by other people's decisions, when Jamie and I were young adults, we just finished up our, our undergrad here in Lansing, and we felt God's call into ministry. 
We didn't know how to get there for sure from, from where we were to, to being in ministry. And so we signed up to go to grad school at Lincoln Christian University in, in the middle of nowhere, Illinois. And, and so we headed on down there. And, and as we were going, following God's call into that, uh, my parents said, hey, you're going to be at this place for a few years. And so instead of renting for these years, why don't you consider buying? And we didn't know anything about that, but they chose to help us. This is a picture of this dilapidated duplex that we ended up buying. Our plan was, with my parents' help to figure this out, uh, that we would live in one side and then that we would make ends meet by renting out the other side. And this was a big step out in faith and also it was, uh, you know, just something new to us. And part of the way that that this was all going to work out was finding a renter as soon as possible. And so we, two 23-year-old young adults, did this. We signed on the dotted line, bought this place. Before we left Lansing, we had it listed up on Craigslist, I think, and we were ready to find a renter. We were overjoyed within, I don't know, two or three days. Somebody reached out. Her name was Rebecca, and she said, hey, I'm interested in, in renting your place. And some of you have heard this story before, so you know how this goes. Uh, Rebecca reached out, and, and it quickly became clear that she considered herself to be a Christ follower, and, and so that was exciting to us. And uh, she also let us know that she thought God was bringing her to, to live in our apartment, that this was God's will. And, and so we were excited about that. We were going to land in our new home. We were going to have a renter, so some rental income, and we were going to be living beside another Christ follower. It just felt like the pieces of our life were falling into place as we followed God's plan, his call. But again, those of you who know this story and heard, have heard it before know things didn't necessarily work out quite so well for us. While we were moving in, Rebecca showed up at the same time and wanted to move in. We weren't quite ready for her to be there, but, uh, you know, that was okay. Again, she was eager and we were excited, and so we were moving in. We went and looked at the apartment with her. She had some concerns, which were legitimate, and so we, Jamie's dad and I, worked on those. We, we worked on replacing the floor in the living room and the floor in the kitchen and worked on the bathroom and, and got things objectively better than the apartment that we were living, that Jamie and I were moving into, and thought things were good. But as time continued on over the course of that week when we were moving in, eventually my parents and Jamie's parents deposited all of our stuff in our apartment, and then they hightailed it back to Michigan, and we were there in the middle of central Illinois with with nobody that we really knew except for this new renter. She moved in, and she let us know, I think the day that our parents all drove back to Michigan, that she was not happy with this apartment. And that we had to do something about it or there would be consequences. And we, of course, had no more money to spend on this place. And uh, the apartment on that side, her apartment, was objectively fine. Rebecca then came back and told us that we were breaking the law. She was vague about what law exactly. And then she told us she was going to call Lincoln Christian University where we were signed up to be students but we hadn't yet taken a class and she was going to tell them all about how terrible we were and she made various other threats and promises of retribution and at this point Jamie and I were terrified. We were hours away from everyone else that we knew. We had no friends, no family to fall back on in this new town. We barely made enough money to make ends meet in our new like part-time jobs as students and we were two young adults facing the wrath of this middle-aged woman and she knew how the world worked much better than we knew we were just getting into this even though we were the landlords in function it felt like Rebecca had all of the power in this situation 
you know, we had followed God into the unknown, trusting that he had called us and that he was going to fit the pieces together and that things were going to be okay for us. And then now it just felt like, well, maybe we had misunderstood God. Maybe this wasn't where God was really leading. And it seemed like the decisions of other people around us were causing chaos and pain and confusion for our lives. I didn't see any way out of this situation that was going to end positively for us. Now today's story in in Genesis chapter 21 holds a similar kind of situation where the decisions and the actions of other people all serve to to undermine one particular character and, and how for her she was in a real hopeless situation where she didn't see the way out either. So turn with me, turn with me to Genesis chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 8 today. Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. Now, there's a lot going on here. And to understand this, you'll be reading this this week, to understand what's going on, we need to take a step back into the history of Genesis, into what's been been going on. And a lot of this comes from Genesis chapter 16. In Genesis 16, we we get introduced to these characters, Hagar and and Abraham and and, and Sarah. Um, And we we learn about them. Before this, Abraham and Sarah had been given a promise by God. They, at that time, were known as Abram and Sarai. They'd been given a promise by God that he would bless them with a son, a son who would be the father of many descendants and there would be a great nation because of of Abraham and and Sarah trusting God and God being true to his promises. But there was a problem with God's promise. And even though Abraham trusted God and believed him, at least in the moment, later on it seems like Abraham had some trouble trusting God. And That's because Abraham and and his wife were far beyond childbearing ability. They were into their golden years. And and even though God would reiterate this promise a couple times to Abraham and Sarah both, these two ended up having trouble trusting God. Especially because his promise seemed, to them, impossible. Abraham and Sarah's lack of trust makes their story relatable, I think, because how many times have you... And I had trouble trusting God. How many times have you felt like the promises that God has made you in Jesus, a future, a hope, eternal life, being right with God, all of that stuff, living forever in God's presence, and it just seems unachievable or so far off, it's, it's hard to believe. I think we've all been there and, and we've all had these moments where faith just seemed almost too fantastic and we've doubted that God will follow through, will come through for us. Now, Abraham and Sarah certainly felt that way, and and so their solution, which to us today sounds awful, and to them back then was also awful, was that Abraham would sleep with Sarah's servant, Sarah's servant's name was Hagar, and then if Hagar became pregnant and had a son, then Sarah would say, well, this is my son, and, and would adopt her. And so they were trying to make God's promises come true on their own terms. I bet you can guess how that, that worked out. Hagar became pregnant after Abraham slept with her, and that caused some serious conflict with her mistress, with Sarah. And and so eventually, Sarah treated her terribly, and Hagar got to the point where she ran away. 
She had no more hope of being treated fairly, of having any kind of a future with Abraham and Sarah, and so she ran out into the wilderness. It was all one giant mess, and it's an illustration of, of again, how when we try to do things our own way, we cause chaos. Because when we fail to wait patiently on God, we, we cause pain, number one, because we haven't trusted God's promises, but number two, because doing things our own way in our own time often means that we're using our own judgment. And our own judgment is, is so flawed. Maybe you've been there. Instead of patiently doing things God's way, you've rushed into something or made a decision all on your own, and, and now there's some kind of brokenness. There's a broken relationship, a broken friendship, a broken marriage, a broken life, and you're left picking up the pieces after that. Now, for her part, Hagar ran away. And, and so if you'll turn with me real quick to Genesis chapter 16. Hagar dealing with the brokenness of Abraham and Sarah's decision. She runs away, and this is what she finds. Verse 7 of Genesis chapter 16. The angel of the Lord found Hagar behind a spring, beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you, you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. So this is all the backstory that happens in the lead up to Genesis 21, which is, our, our, again, our text for today. This all happened a few years in the past. Hagar had her son Ishmael, and, and Ishmael, God had promised that Ishmael, the son, would be the father of many descendants. And so Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Abraham are all living together in, in Abraham's camp. And then, eventually, the promised son shows up. The actual promised son, Isaac. Sarah miraculously becomes pregnant even though she's way beyond her childbearing years. God has been faithful. He's been true to his promise. It's surprising. It's a, a cause for joy and excitement. And yet, what do you do with a substitute son? Because if Isaac is here, if the actual promised son has shown up, then, well, Ishmael and Hagar, they're, they're redundant. And the fact that they're making fun of Isaac doesn't do them any favors. And so, again... Back to what we just read, Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her servant Isaac. Now you understand where this has all come from. Continuing the story on, verse 10. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. He's not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, Do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he is your son too. God saw what was happening in this situation. And that's within God's character because, again, all the way back years before Genesis 16, Hagar is pregnant, running away in the wilderness, hopeless. And what she encounters is God who sees her. And she begins to refer to God as the God who sees me. 
And so here in Genesis 21, again, God sees Hagar in this situation, the mess that's being caused, and he knows that she's going to be sent away by Abraham, and there's all this tension, and God steps in and says, Abraham, it's okay. I'm going to be with your descendant, with your son Ishmael. I see what's going on, and God reiterates that promise. Not only is God's promise for many descendants through Isaac, the promised son, but also through Ishmael, because even though humans have created chaos, God's purposes are still accomplished. And so Hagar gets sent out into the wilderness, verse 14. So Abraham got up early the next morning. He prepared food and a container of water and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. And then he sent her away with her son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. And then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. Imagine being Hagar at this point. Sent away out into the wilderness with your child. Only the food that you can carry on your back, a canteen of water, now that canteen is gone. Talk about bleak. It was no wonder that Hagar doubted God's promise to her that Ishmael would have many descendants because it seemed impossible. Instead of seeing God's promise come true, she saw death coming for her and for her son. And maybe, maybe you felt that way. Perhaps you've had moments like that, moments of, of absolute hopelessness, distress. According to an article I read recently, back in 2009, 26% of American high school students reported persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. 26%, so about a quarter of our high schoolers. This number had risen to 44% by 2021. Students who feel persistent sadness or hopelessness for days and days and days on end. And I would say, imagine feeling that way, but so many of you have known this. You've lived this. Whether you're an adult or a student, a child, You've, you've been here, you've felt this distress and this pain and these feelings of, well, is it worth it? What's, what's going to happen? What does my life look like? A feeling of persistent sadness and hope, hopelessness. If that's you this morning, if you're feeling hopeless about life in general, something specific, your family, your job, your faith, something else, I want you to know that God sees you. God sees you. God is a God who saw Hagar when she was pregnant, running away, fleeing her mistress out into the wilderness with no hope, and God met her and made a promise to her. God is a God who sees you as well, and he's made promises to you. He's spoken to you through his word, and and he's given you a promise of a future and of a hope and of life eternal. The story continues on in Genesis chapter 21, verse 17. But God heard the boy crying. Not only does God see, God hears. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called out to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him. For I will make a great nation from his descendants. This is the third time you hear this promise specifically about Ishmael. Verse 19, then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. And she quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. 
In times of hopelessness, God sees, God hears, and God responds. And God's promises, they're not just for the future, for some far-off time that seems uh, imperceptible, unreachable to us today. God's promises are for right now. God offers you the chance to live a new life of meaning and purpose and, and fulfillment, a life that's filled with joy, surrounded by God's family, a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit. As you walk in step with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit grows these fruits in you, these are the promises of God for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. A path forward, a way away from hopelessness and despair. God, God certainly offered that path for Hagar and Ishmael. God saw their plight, God heard their cries, and God responded and reminded them of his promise. You know, this, this story of God staying true to his promise, despite the, the left turns that his people take and, and the confusion, the pain they create, is, is such a reminder of the faithfulness of our God. It teaches us that when you can't see the way forward, God is that ever-present help. No matter who you are, I, I believe you've dealt with some discouragement, some setback. You've had those days, maybe a day or two, or a season or two, when you felt that hopelessness. Some of us have been struggling to find hope for an awful long time. And so, I want to remind you again, God sees you. If that's you, God sees you. And that's so important to remember because God's promises and the fact that God knows us and has promised to us these things, these should be our greatest source of encouragement on this journey. No matter how your life is going right now, no matter how you feel in any given moment or situation, God is faithful. He is true to his word. We also have to realize that just like Abraham and, and Sarah were tempted time and time again to discount God's promises and to try to do their own thing, that you and I, we're, we're going to have these same moments where we're tempted to set this stuff aside, or we're tempted to, to let go of faith, of, of obedience, where we're tempted to go our own way. And so this morning, I, I want to remind you of a few things that we know about God. That when you're tempted to, to discount God's promises and and to give up on hope, that there are a couple things that you need to remember. The first one is this, that God's timeline is not your timeline. Second Peter 3, the apostle tells us this in verse 8, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow as about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God's not slow to act. His timeline is just not your timeline. And so do you feel like God is taking too long for you? Do you feel like he's not showing up for you when you want him to? Well, again, a, a day for the Lord is like a thousand years, and a, a thousand years is like a day. God certainly took his time showing up for Abraham and Sarah so long that they went off and did their own thing. And so if you're in a season where you wish God would just show up already, remind yourself, God's timeline is, is not your timeline. Even when he seems to be doing, doing nothing, from your perspective, he's still active and powerful and at work, and he's doing something. It just might not be 
when you expect it that you see the results. So when you're tempted to, to lose hope and doubt God's promises, remind yourself God's timeline is not your timeline. Also remind yourself this. God's methods are not your methods. The prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 55, starting in verse 8, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And he continues on, and this is a chapter worth reading after church today. And if you feel like God is, is not doing things the way that you want, if you feel like your life is not going according to your plan, remember, God's methods are not yours. Abraham and Sarah thought that the only way for them to experience God's promise was for them to have a baby right now. And when that didn't happen, they decided to do their own thing and use their own methods. And we all know how that turned out. Pain and chaos and, and, uh, and desperation and hopelessness. But God's ways were not their ways and, and God was not at all bound by their biological clock. And so for you, if you've been feeling disappointed that God's not showing up how you want, when you want, that he's not answering your prayers just like you want them answered, have you considered that maybe God is, in fact, at work just in a different way than you anticipated? God's ways were not Abraham's and Sarah's ways, and God's ways are, are not our ways either. When you're tempted to lose hope, and doubt God's promises. Remind yourself, God's timeline is not your timeline. God's methods are not your methods. And then remind yourself this. God sees you. God sees you. Hagar, again pregnant, running from her, her master and mistress out in the wilderness, desperate, hopeless. She encounters God there and she begins to refer to God as the God who sees me. I want to read you that. Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. And she said, Have I truly been seen by the one who sees me? Maybe that hopelessness that you feel is because you feel unknown, unseen. You think your, your situation is invisible to everyone and that nobody knows about what's going on and would they help even if they knew? Hagar felt that way. She felt like no one cared about her and she ran away in desperation and yet God saw and God responded. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. And finally, when the actions of other people cause you pain and you're tempted to lose hope and to give up on God's promises. I want to remind you of the anchor passage of, of this entire series. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 46, that's worth committing to memory. Maybe the whole psalm. It could be a challenge for us this fall, maybe for you. As you spend time journaling, write these words down every day and, and let God's word get in your mind and in your heart. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is our ever-present help in time of trouble. And the rest of the psalm goes on to say that we will not fear. And for us today, we, we will not fear no matter what others say about us, no matter what's happening in our lives, no matter what the world looks like around us, we have hope because we know Jesus. And we're all going to face moments, 
Just like Abraham and, and Sarah faced a moment when they were tempted to not trust God, just like Hagar faced a moment where she lost her hope and, and ran away and then was sent away a second time, we're going to be in these moments. But when you're there, when all hope is lost, remember that God sees you, and when you can't see the way forward, know that God is that ever-present help. As we kind of wrap things up this morning, I want to read you the last little bit of this Genesis chapter 21 episode here. Again, this was supposed to be the joyful celebration of Isaac, and yet all of this mess happened with Hagar and Ishmael. God saw Hagar, reiterated his promise to both Abraham and to Hagar, and then, verse 20, and God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness of Paran, his mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. God was with the boy. God is our ever-present help. And things were so bleak for these two, Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar basically gave up twice, laid down to die, and yet God was there. And God was with Ishmael, and God was true to his promises. And God is the same today. No matter the pain, the brokenness, what you're going through, God sees you. God is there for you. God has promised. He's made promises to you. And when you can't see the way forward, God is that ever-present help. Church, can I pray for you? God, we come to you today, and we are your people. And Father, you know, you know us. Jesus, you know us. We don't have a, a high priest who can't sympathize with us, but we know that that you understand us. You became one of us. You know, the pain and the struggles, the heartbreak that we face on a daily basis. And you know and you love. God, you work to complete your plans and you have a future for us. And God, you have a life for us to live now. And so as we go live that life, Father, as we in a few moments leave this building and go out to be the church out in the world, help us to reflect on and to remember what you've taught us in your word this morning. Help us to remember that you are the God who sees and that you are the God who is that ever-present help. And because we know that, Father, help us to live lives uh, that, that reflect your glory, reflect that relationship that we have with you into the lives of others around us. And God, when they, when they see us, the way we interact with them, the way that we serve out in your world, God, help them to be drawn to you. Father, we're thankful for your presence in our lives. Open our eyes to, to continue to see the ways in which you show up for us. Holy Spirit, help us to walk in step with you. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.